22, guys. Let's begin our study. As I said, Psalm 42 and 43 will be a continual study. These, in a lot of original texts, were combined. They were separated some years later. It doesn't take away the effect or the meaning from them. They flow very well together, and they echo the same sentiment. And we will treat them as Psalm 42 and 43, but we will very much just go straight from one to the other, maybe even even connecting a dot in the same night of crossing over from one to the other. Uh, these are very dear psalms to mo- a lot of people, very, uh, very much read psalms, uh, or very popular, I guess you would say is what I'm trying to tell you. People go to them. And I think one of the reasons people go to them a lot is because these two psalms deal with something that affects us all, and it's, it is the great discouragement or, or depression, even. And it is a very serious topic to deal with depression and to deal with discouragement. Uh, we don't know who the author is. We don't, we're not, it's not told to us. Uh, some say it was the sons of Korah who were the musicians, uh, but we still really don't know enough if we... There's a lot of theories of who wrote it. Some say David, and you can argue whichever way you want to go, but it doesn't matter who wrote it. It is in the canon of Scripture, and it is Psalm 42, and let's read Psalm 42 together now. And it says, Psalm 42, to the chief musician, Amaskel, for the sons of Korah. And it begins with verse 1, as the heart, and some of your uh, translations will say, dear, as the song says, this is where the song comes from, that we sing, As a deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, and with a voice of joy and praise, and with the multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down my soul, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee, from the land of Jordan, and of the Hermonites, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts, and all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God of my life. Verse 9, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As the sword, as with the sword of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me again, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, my, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. A very solemn 
a very serious psalm. Let's commit our hearts to God one more time before we begin to look at this psalm as it addresses discouragement and depression. Father God, we praise you tonight again. You alone are worthy of all our praise, all our worship, and all that we are. And we offer ourselves tonight on the sacrifice of this altar. Lord, we are yours. We are bought with a price, the precious blood of our Savior. Lord, may we take serious what we consider tonight. May we understand who you are. And may we grow in our relationship and our closeness and in our knowledge of who you are. That you may be glorified more by our obedience. Open our hearts and our ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1965, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book. He was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures, and I recommend it. It's a very good book. I have a study guide for it. I have, matter of fact, I have some sermons downloaded from that as well. And... It is a very good book. Some of you know Martin Lloyd-Jones is the man who took the, the pastoral job there at Westminster Chapel in London. And the first thing he did was nail the pulpit down. They were using the church for a lot of worldly things. And he wanted first to declare the seriousness of the Word of God. And he took nails and a hammer himself and nailed the pulpit down and dared it to be moved. The man stood on the Word of God, but he also had understanding of this depression Doctors have done many studies and uh, a lot of work, provide medication. They do a lot of good for people. It is a serious thing. And if all of us were honest, discouragement and depression affects us all to some degree, to some larger degrees in some smaller areas, but it does have its effect on most of us, if not all of us. Psalm 42 and 43 are dealing with this dark time that we call depression. And all of us have dark times. And it's in those dark times that we sometimes feel very much out of control. Rejected. Even, even forgotten sometimes. One of the most common feelings expressed by those who are in these dark times is the expression that they feel very alone. Isolated. And even believers can suffer from these dark times. We can all feel abandoned, abandoned by our friends, abandoned by our family, even sometimes we feel even abandoned by God himself. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, when his journals recorded times of depression and great discouragement, he wrote this, one crushing stone, or one crushing stroke, excuse me, has sometimes laid the minister very low. The brother most relied upon becomes a traitor. Judas lifts up his heel against the man who trusted him, and the preacher's heart for a moment fails him. Strife also, and division and slander and foolish censures have often laid holy men prostrate and made them go as with a sword to their bones. And he's talking about this very psalm when he 
drive that. He goes on in another time and says, constant dropping of stones wears them away, and the bravest minds feel fret of repeated afflictions. If a scanty cupboard is rendered a severe trial by the sickness of a wife or a loss of a child, and if ungenerous remarks of hearers are followed by the opposition of deacons and the coolness of the members, then like Jacob, we are apt to cry, all these things are against us. We live in a world where we look out sometimes as Christians and feel very alone. Individually, sometimes we feel alone and we might cry out like Spurgeon referred to Jacob, all these things are against us. And if we're not careful, we'll sometimes even say, even God is against us. And then depression and discouragement begin to creep into our hearts and our minds, affecting us in ways that we never thought they could be affected. That's where we find the psalmist in this psalm, in these two psalms, really. And as we look at these two great psalms, as we study these together over the next two or three weeks, I want us to notice that not only is this a declaration of depression, but it's also giving us the cause and the cure for this depression that he has. We go through it with him. He is taking us through these events with him so that we might learn. So we look back at our text and let's learn together with the psalmist and allow the word of God to teach us. Verse 1, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And then he says, when shall I come and appear before God? He goes on in verse 3 to say, My tears have been my meat all day and long. It's all he's ate. He hasn't ate anything. While they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And when I remember these things, I pour my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. Where did he go? I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of the joy and praise and multitude that kept the holy day. The psalmist by Declaring his longing for God here in this psalm is proclaiming the feeling of being absent from God or distant from God. And I don't mean absence as if we could be somewhere that God is not or be away from God. Or a distance from God that God has moved somewhere. This is a place that most of us have been and some may even find themselves even now. It's a place when our circumstances around us seem to overwhelm us. And it separates us. And it separates us from all that's good. <laughs> and sometimes even, even separates us from God and God's people. As this psalmist proclaims that he thirsts after God, he's questioning, when shall I appear before God? When shall I be back in your presence again? And recalls going to church with the multitude and kept the holy day. And how he longs for God and longs for those moments it's in the dark times like this that we can feel the absence of God in our lives sometimes like that although we know that Romans 8 38 and 39 tell us that if we're born again we can never be separated from God 
And even though we can never be separated from God, the fact that sometimes our lives feel as though God is so far off, we couldn't reach him if we could. And it causes us to be depressed and discouraged and, and sometimes in great amounts. It can be an irrational feeling or it can be even because of our own sin because the fact is our sin can cause our fellowship with God to be affected. Which is that, that fellowship, that special closeness that we have with God when we walk in obedience to God. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 how to keep from having this distance or this separation from God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, exhorting the church, he says, We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, a list of things to do, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, we get, Quench not the Spirit, which is that distancing, putting something between us and God, that we quench the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say, Do not despise prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from the appearance of all evil ending with verse 24 saying faithful is he who called you who will also do it paul giving instruction to the church to abstain from known sins such as failure to exercise church discipline failure to be thankful failure for prayerlessness and over many other things but in the middle of that paul admonishes them quench not the spirit that's what we're talking about when we mean the distance from God. The Spirit is quenched. As believers, we've all experienced and desire that special closeness that we have with God. That we experience when we're walking with God, when we're praying, when we're in church, and when we're doing things. It's when we drift away from those things that we begin to find that distance developing between us and God. You know what I'm talking about. When sin blocks the prayers that we feel like we're praying and they hit the ceiling, most times there's sin that's there. It doesn't have to be murder or rape or something awful. It could just be our prayerlessness or our lack of study of the Word of God or our lack of presence to assemble with the saints or simply an attitude that God needs us and desires for us to deal with. In Psalm 51, it gives us an idea of going through that and being restored. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Talking about his sin. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We sing those words about God washing us whiter than snow. It goes on in verse 8 of Psalm 51. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Again, the sinfulness being dealt with. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. There we go. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. We often talk about that section of Scripture, verse 12, 
remembering the heart that we had when we were first saved, the eagerness, the desire we had, and the closest we felt to God. We were clean before God. Our sins confessed. We just repented. We had this joy of knowing the forgiveness of God and the closeness of God and our hearts clean before him. David is crying out in Psalm 51, clean me, purge me, get rid of this, do not look at my sin, forgive me, and take me back to that moment, to that time when I was clean before you. Restore the joy of thy salvation that I might be close to you and don't be far from me. We have to stop and think about this as we're talking about this. Whether you're depressed or discouraged or whether you're just here, how close do you feel to God at this moment? Was there ever a time in your walk that you ever felt closer than you are right now? Why is that? There was such a distance between David and God that he pleads for that restored joy. We pray for revival. As if God waves a magic wand and just makes it happen. Revival happens when the people of God get right with God. As David declares in the psalm, as our psalmist is crying out in Psalm 42, that his heart desires God. That's the heart of a repentant person who desires God. David's called it delight for God. We've studied that in the Psalms previously. I delight in you. I delight in your word. A desire to be close to God. As we look back at our text, we can see the reason for this distance in verse 2. It says, as a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for thee, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then verse 4, he talks about going. I remember these things. I pour out my soul, for I have gone with the multitude to the assembly, to church, he said. I went with them to the house of God and the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. Somewhere, either by force or by choice, we're not told. I've heard arguments for both. But by choice or by force, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 42 is not assembling together with the church. And it's breaking his heart. It's causing him to be depressed. The reason he feels distant from God, the reason he's becoming discouraged and depressed, is that he's distant from God. And you may say, how can not going to church and how can this distance from God cause such a depression? I'm glad you asked because it's this way. Salvation is of God. Amen? And that's a supernatural act of God. Those who were dead spiritually are made alive. That's supernatural. As Baptists, we don't like to use that word supernatural because we're all afraid of becoming Pentecostal and charismatic. We are far from that, folks. I promise you that. But much to our own detriment, we avoid the acknowledgement of the supernatural acts of God in salvation. 
And we sometimes have the wrong picture of God and the wrong picture of salvation. We think that we can control God and earn salvation. But just as salvation is a supernatural act of God, so is our sanctification and our continued fellowship with God. A person, it's like this, a person who's been given a new heart, that's supernatural. We call it regenerated or regenerate. A person who's regenerate has a new heart, a new nature. Now desiring the things for God, a supernatural desire for the things of God. It's how we grow into maturity, how we grow up, how we are spiritually fed in a supernatural way. We not only have a desire, we have a need for the things of God. And these things of God that we're talking about are the word of God, prayer, and the assembling of the saints together. It's in these things that we call spiritual food. That we grow individually, but we grow corporately as the church. And that would be supernatural. Depression comes when we neglect those things that we need. Go without eating for a while and see if it doesn't change your mood. I worked at a restaurant. I used to leave during the church invitation to get to the restaurant I worked at in the little town I worked in so I could beat the church, church rush. Meanest people I've ever had to deal with, the church people. Made fun of them. I was one of them, but I made fun of them. Low blood sugar causes people to do and say things that they normally wouldn't say, right? How much more does it affect us when we neglect the things of God? The supernatural feeding of our souls. The growth. Winds up with depression and discouragement. Wondering what in the world is going on around us. The psalmist in Psalm 42 desires the thing of things of God so much that when he's deprived from those things he becomes discouraged and depressed and now proclaims it to us many today wonder why they're discouraged and depressed they ask why am I discouraged and ask in ignorance while they've willingly separated themselves from the things of God it's estimated now that less than 50% of the people have come back to church in our nation after COVID. Less than 50% have come back overall. Neglecting the things of God. Theologians and pollsters alike have stated that when trials come in the lives of today's Christian, that the first thing they abandon is prayer. The second thing they abandon is church attendance. The Word of God was not on that list, and I believe the Word of God was not on that list because most of the church today has abandoned that a long time ago. And the church is sick. People are powerless, and people are depressed and discouraged because they've neglected the things of God. And the cure is simple. This is a very simple cure. We read through it in 1 John. To repent and return. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Psalm 51 was crying out for, that cleansing and being washed whiter than the snow. We have to admit we sin and confess our sin and repent of it. So we ask ourselves, are, were we closer to God at any time in our lives than we are now? Because are we neglecting the things of God? Are we neglecting church attendance? Are we neglecting the word of God? Or are we neglecting prayer? It was there times when we did that more. The psalmist said it created depression and discouragement in him. As we hear him crying out, Oh soul, why are you in such terrible shape? He goes on and doesn't stop there. He begins and he will be telling us more and more of the causes for his depression. Verse 3 gives us an idea of the second reason. And it's very revealing. It may be revealing of us as well in the age in which we, we live. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And again in verse 10, they say, where is thy God? What's happening here is people are asking, even, even taunting him. Where's your God now? Uh-huh. You're going through all this stuff that's going on right now? Where's your God now? You ever been asked that before? I have. You ever been asked? Where's your God now? Have you ever asked a question like that to somebody? Or have you ever asked, God, where are you now? Being questioned that way causes the psalmist grief and depression deep in his soul. And it will cause that same grief and same depression in us if we do not have the proper knowledge of God so that we know where God is when we're asked. We're told to be able to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And most people who proclaim to be Christian cannot give a reason. It's just there. It's Jesus. Where is he? Well, I don't know. Heaven? We quote Tozer a lot saying, what comes to mind when you think of God's the most important thing about you, but it applies in this and so many other places in Scripture. And it applies here greater than ever. Because many, if not most Christians today, have an improper view of who God is and where He is. And if asked, where is your God? Most would not have an answer, and the remaining ones would give the wrong answer. And if you go and you connect point one and point two together with this, in this depression, because all these things pile on top of, of this psalmist causing this depression. Abandoning prayer, abandoning the assembling of, of God, abandoning the word of God, and an improper view of God. All that fits together in the same puzzle of depression and discouragement. And the modern Christian today is so mixed up that it comes from what we call Christianity today. They're hearing everything out there. You have Kenneth Copeland saying, God cannot act on your behalf unless you give him permission. Stephen Furtick telling people now, reading himself into Scripture as a narcissist, 
and telling people that he is now God and you could be God too. Andy Stanley has called for his people and himself to detach from the Old Testament. Beth Moore, Sarah Young, and many others, Priscilla Shire, are now proclaiming to hear from God without the word of God. Hillsong drops glitter from the ceiling, calls it the Holy Spirit, tells people to, to praise God, the Holy Spirit, which is glitter falling from the, from the ceiling, and calls for people to bark and to scream and to yell and flop on the floor in the Spirit. You have books that are made into movies, and movies that are made into books, like Heaven is for Real and War Room, that are heretical in what they present, and people do Bible studies on them, and nobody wants to say anything about it because we might upset the wrong people, and they might leave the church or get mad at me and not talk to me anymore. It's no wonder people's view of God is so messed up because of what they listen to, what we're feeding ourselves. Well, if they say Jesus and they got a Bible, they must be all right. Bless God, the Mormons have a Bible and they say Jesus and it's not the same Bible. It's not the same Jesus. People are depressed because their view of God is messed up. They get it from, not from the Bible, it's the God, the little G, the God of the world, the God of these false teachers. And the God presented by these teachers is a weak, emotional God that's fumbling around somewhere out there, wondering what he's going to do next to make things right. The God that's presented today has changed and is no longer who he used to be. He doesn't feel the same way about sin as he used to be. The God presented today is no longer the sovereign God of all things. He's the God who either needs permission from man or is so weak that he needs the help from man to do what he needs to get done. God, forgive the church for allowing such heresy to be propagated. And we are guilty because we buy their material. We use their stuff. Well, this is good, that one's not. I don't have time to sort through it. You hear from God directly without the word of God, you're wrong. Holy Spirit is not gold glitter falling from the ceiling. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And you are not God and nor am I. And he doesn't need my permission to do anything. And one day all those people will have to answer for their lies. It's no wonder people are depressed. If that's your God, that's depressing, people. Who's your God? Oh, he's gold glitter that falls from the sky. What a picture of God. Where is your God? <laughs> Ask one of them. The people of God need to return to a proper view of God that only comes from the Word of God. And there needs to be a declaration, not in word because everybody says it, but in the hearts of all believers that the Word of God is not only all authority, but all sufficient for what we need from God. 
The God of the Bible created all things and is still in charge of all things. The God of the Bible never changes, nor does he ever fail. The God who saved us, saved you, saved me, he saved us to the uttermost. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's who God is. The Bible says, he who promises faithful. The God of the Bible sent his son Jesus to save those who believe, those he draws to belief. And who are, all who are in Christ will spend eternity reigning with him. My friends, when your view of God is correct, the things of this world and the trouble of this world and the stress of this world and this life will fade. Yet the one book that can help us through all our troubles, the one book that can help us through the depression, the scary things, the discouragement, is the one book that we neglect. We depend too much on other people to give us what it says. We need to open it up for ourselves and hear for ourselves. Thus saith the Lord. Have our hearts healed. Have our thinking healed. Our thinking of who He is. That we might act accordingly. When our view of God becomes... The biblical view of God. All the chaos, all the noise, all the politics, all the sickness, all the crime becomes just noise. We're focused on the one who delivered us and one day will deliver us. Turn to Romans 8. Got a minute left. I think we can read this in a minute. Proper view of God. You could open the Bible in any place that you want to, and we'll find a view of God that we should see. I want us to end tonight with this view of God. Kind of echoes what you read in Psalm 118 when it says, The Lord is on my side, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Romans 8 gives us the same idea in the New Testament. And it will help us be able to answer that question if we're ever asked, where is your God now? Romans 8, verse 28. Let's begin reading. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That's who God is. If you think otherwise, then we need to dig deeper and find out what the problem is. If you're thinking that it's not good, that he's not working it out for good, things are not going the way that it should, something's gone awry, you need to go back to this verse and you need to find out why that's true. Because he's God, and it is true. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And when... Then we say to those things, if God is for us, who is against us? Wow. Having a proper view of God will make that mean so much more to you. We were still reading in Romans 8, verse 32. He who died, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. 
how will he not also with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, but is who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation, will distresses, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? Nothing can separate us from God. Keep reading. Verse 36, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. And here's the crowning, the crowning jewel. And you have to have a proper view of God for this to mean this much to you. It should bring tears to you. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to know where God is? Right there he is. That's my God. That's the God of the Bible. The one true God. And you just heard from him. And I just heard from him. May that impact our lives from this point forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you tonight. You are sovereign God. Creator.